0: One of the biggest keys to my success is my ongoing desire to grow and invest in myself. When I say investing, I mean time, energy, and money. One of the biggest blocks I see with new leaders is the belief that asking for help equals failure, when in reality, that is the key to successful leadership. So if you are a leader who deeply cares about the people that you lead, and you've got big goals ahead of you this year, now is the time to apply for our next cohort of Inside Out Leadership. Inside Out Leadership will provide the container and inspiration for growth so that you can overcome the people obstacles and build a thriving, empowered team. Head on over to erinthorpe.ca forward and enter your name and email and fill out the application. I will personally reach out to discuss our next steps. Welcome back to the Tactical Empathy Podcast. I am so excited today for my guest. Jacqueline Fish is joining me and she is an author, copywriter, and communications coach and the founder of the Intuitive Writing School. Her work now focuses on helping creative business owners move past perfectionism, because we all know that catches us, and find their authentic voice so they can write copy and content and share their expertise to make an impact on the world. We also dive into corporate communications, emails, change management, presentations, uh, newsletters. We as leaders, in whatever capacity that is for you, have opportunities every day in our written communication to do so with empathy. And we dive into this very tactical conversation about how to do that. Jacqueline shares with us five of her top tips on how to communicate in the written form using empathy. And right at the end, she shares her number one tip on how to get into the mindset of your reader, whatever that intended audience might be. Maybe it's your kids, your family, your project team, your corporate team, a volunteer group. It doesn't matter. But she shares with you a very simple framework that when she laid it out to me in this conversation, I immediately got excited about writing to my audience, which I can tell you rarely happens. I would much rather have a conversation with you, which is why I've launched the podcast, than write an email to you. However, Jacqueline has given us some top tips for this, and I'm excited to go and put these into action. So, grab a coffee or a water or put your headphones in and go for a walk and join us for this great conversation on how to communicate with empathy in the written form. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have Jacqueline Fish. Jacqueline, I'm so excited to have you here. Yay. I'm so happy to be here too. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I think, um, you know your work and my work intersect. Obviously, we have had a past of working together, um, but I am really excited to dive into the written communication. We've talked in past episodes about you know talking and and actually vocalizing uh, and using empathy in that way. But today we're going to dive into some of our our written form of communication. So I'm really excited about that. Before we get there, can you just tell us a little bit about you? What do you do? What leadership roles do you hold? Of course. Well, today my
1: leadership looks a little bit different than it did when I worked (laughs) in the corporate world because I work for myself. So I'll, I'll back up a little bit. In the past, I did traditional leadership, leading teams, leading a project, initiatives, things like that. And now that I'm a freelance copywriter and coach and author, my leadership is different. It's about leading leading the way with what I'm teaching and being a leader and not necessarily leading a team other than a handful of contractors.
0: I love that. Yeah. Really like you're I, when I, when you said that the visual I got was, you know, you're out in front. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful.
1: Yes. Which is quite a shift from, cause I do copywriting for professionals So I'm behind the scenes there, and then Mm -hmm. on the other side, I'm stepping in front. So it's like I'm stepping out from behind the screen and sharing everything I've learned.
0: I love that. So how does empathy show up in your work as a copywriter, as an author?
1: I think it's really important. I mean, obviously. (laughs) It might not be obvious to everyone. It's obvious to me. So... And it's also a little bit of a buzzword in the online marketing world. It's almost been the, the answer or like the middle finger to very pushy, aggressive tactics, even sales tactics, because a lot of the writing I do is used for persuasion, whether that's to sell or convince someone of an idea. And it's not a brute force activity. It's... It's a natural ebb and flow with how your people want to be communicated with, which is also how great communicators are effective. When you are truly listening to your, to your audience, to your recipient on the other end of your email or message, if you're truly listening, then you can respond with empathy instead of like, this is how I want to do it. This is what I right. want, where it's very self-focused. So I really think it's other focused. You're focused on the other as well as yourself. I mean, we always have to consider ourselves too and boundaries, of course.
0: Of course. Yeah, as I'm listening to you describe kind of the the shift in communication style, it's it's moving away from that, you know, maybe authoritative or dictatorial type of style yeah. where it's like, this is the way it's going to be because I said so. And really moving into, um, I love the words you used with ebb and flow, right? So I'm going to give you a little, I'm going to listen and hear what you have to say. And we're going to kind of co-create, you know, maybe not necessarily the product or the unfinished, but I'm going to listen to you. Um, and you're going to have influence in, in this.
1: Exactly. It's, we've all been on the other receiving end mm-hmm. of those messages that don't feel good.
0: Totally. And
1: I think at the end of the day, it's how do we, how do we feel and how do our recipients feel? Yeah. And this is not necessarily overly touchy feely, like we need to be concerned about everybody's feelings and walk on eggshells kind of idea, but yep. it's when people feel good, they're more likely to do what you're asking them to do. (laughs) Yeah. Very simply. Yeah. As a leader, if you need things done, if you make your team feel crappy, they're going to feel crappy every time you interact together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And this is, I I personally have run into this. I tend to be quite a direct communicator, um, which works okay when I'm in person with people, because I, I will say I'm better at, responding to kind of nonverbal cues when people are present with me. But I have noticed that I have this tendency to be very direct and anybody who's ever worked with me listening will be nodding along here. You know, I'll just one liner it like I there will be no greeting in the email, there will be no background or context, there will be nothing about the other person. It's just like, hey, this is what I need you to do, period. (laughs) You know, sometimes I won't even sign the email. um, Because that's Like I'm just, I tend, I know I have a natural tendency to be very direct. Um, And that is something I have had to learn to adjust in my written communication to get, Mm -hmm. to be more effective and to get what I want.
1: Yes. It's, it's funny you mentioned that when I was in a corporate communications role, some 360 feedback I got from a colleague was that I was too direct Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they wanted my message to be nicer sometimes. I think this happens for a couple of reasons. And also direct communication is an act of service for your reader. Adding a bunch of extra words when you don't need them can cloud your message and then no one knows what they're doing. But I think with email, especially when we're direct, it's because I think it happened over time because we are so used to DMs and text messaging that we treat email like that. So sometimes emails read like text.
0: Yeah, and, and sometimes, and I think the, um, the nuance that I'm picking up here, right, is I might not have the same personal relationship or be at the same level of trust, because I think ultimately that's kind of what it comes back to um, with everybody on the team or everyone I'm communicating with. So the reason I can be very direct in my text message usually is because there is this level of personal relationship and level of trust that's already been established. I'm not trying to build a relationship. Exactly. Right. We're just having an exchange of like, this is what I need done. Okay. That's great. When we get to maybe team communications, presentations, newsletters, emails, um, you know, when we're communicating change in an organization, we may not have the same level of relationship and often we don't, I don't think, um, and so part of that communication really does have to consider what might the other person be going through? How might they receive this and feel? So can you share with us what we should, like, how do we get into that? How do we think about that as we're crafting communication? What should what should leaders be doing?
1: Great question. Especially when it comes to change, having mm-hmm. done plenty of change management communications, <laughs> it's hard because mm-hmm. ch- change is hard for most people. Right. Even if they say they love a fast-paced environment and they thrive in it, it's still challenging. And what it often comes down to is people feel fear. Mm. So it's it's knowing who your people are. And this is where, depending on the size of your organization, if you have a huge organization, you will have different communications, or you should, for different stakeholders within your company. Okay because they all have different feelings and fears and, and driving needs or a say in the process, some like for some changes or some communications, it might not affect someone that much. It's more of like, Hey, FYI, this is coming. Okay, great. Check. I know. (laughs) I'm not worried about it. It doesn't affect how I do my job. It doesn't affect my job, which is a big one, especially with, the great resignation, quiet quitting, all those hashtags.
0: All those things, yeah.
1: All those hashtag things. Any bit of change, especially in companies today, almost instantly provokes fear. And that's an underlying security. Like, am I safe? Is this safe? So understanding what your people are saying. And I hear from some executives who do who spend a lot of time communicating with a large company or their employees. And they're like, uh, people don't, they're not engaging with the message. They don't understand. They're asking the same questions. They don't get it. Or they didn't read it, Right. which, which is, there's, there's a lot that goes into the timing, the flow, the language overall, depending on the, the severity or the impact of the change, I usually suggest communicate early, often, and everywhere, depending on what it is and what affects them.
0: I love that. So early, often, and everywhere.
1: Yeah. Like if you have a company internet, Mm -hmm. if you have
0: text messaging, emails, even
1: letting that message come from their one-on-one conversations and leaders, making it part of the conversation so it's something they're constantly hearing about. Then they can't ignore it. So that's another thing people want to do with change: pretend it's not going to happen, right? <laughs> and right. they're in denial. And yeah, then all of a sudden you have this big rollout of a new software, and your company's like, "Oh, I actually have to do this now." I do. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of resistance in there.
0: So. I love what you said earlier about the underlying resistance especially around change movements but really it could be any anything that we need them to buy into or do and this could be large team small team doesn't matter I mean this even applies to our kids right um mm-hmm. it's 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 fear right it's that it's that fundamental human response to am i safe here um and I think you brought up a really good point that and I've certainly seen it in my work with corporate teams so many people are unaware that they're still running at that, like uh, really high alert kind of stage that we were all, most of us were running at during kind of the COVID years, you know, and, and -hmm. for a lot of people, we haven't taken the time to shift back down so that we have more capacity to respond to changing circumstances.
1: Yeah, absolutely they're, it's messaging overload too. So there's a balance yeah. between how much you're communicating and what. So this is where the contents of your message can really affect the whole of how it's received.
0: So what tips do you have for leaders? Um, I love, you know, early, often, and everywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. What about content? Like, what do we call out the fear? Do we say, hey, we might, you, you might be thinking that, you know, this change is going to result in A lost position or a restructure? Like, do we call it out? Do we try to guess at what they might be fearing?
1: Yes. In some cases, it's smart because we're not hiding it Mm -hmm. and we're being clear about it. And I would make sure if you do that, that that is in fact what your people are saying and you're not just guessing. That's what they might be thinking. And so in your messaging, having an overall positive tone. So even if it's something negative that you're communicating, there's going to be negativity in there and a way, an easy way to shift that. And I also recommend when you're writing these communications, whether email, however, whatever your medium is, that you write first, edit later. Mm. We, we had a saying in the crisis communications world was, was start with the truth and then edit. So I love that. It's important to say we're not editing the truth out because the truth still needs to be in there. Mm-hmm. But we're saying it however we would say it, whatever words come out of our mouth. And then we go back in and play with it. And then when we're editing, what I suggest to look for is how many negative words or emotions, even if you're naming emotions, are in there. Don't, can't, won't, frustrated, angry, anything like that. Notice how many are in there. And my rough formula for a balance is for every one negative word, you have three more positive ones Mm. to balance that out. And it's important to do that. Whereas I've seen some people go too far into the empathy deep end, perhaps tell us what that looks like only communicating in positive, uplifting, happy terms. Right. which kind of washes it out and waters it down. And when you get that message, you're like, does this person even understand what is going on? Like, what planet are you from?
0: So yeah.
1: it really it creates a huge disconnect from who you are. Like, And we want to connect and build trust and likability with our people. And if we communicate in that way, it's it's fake. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like a reader can detect it immediately.
0: Yeah, it's almost it almost like as you're sitting there describing that I'm like it almost has the same effect as just being too blunt and too direct. Yeah. Like, the reaction from the reader is you don't understand me, which is exactly the opposite of empathy.
1: Exactly. The other big strategy that I like to use is the way you word things in one or two ways. Away from language or toward language. So away from language is we want to avoid this so that we don't have to do this. So you can see the negative in there. Yep. Don't, avoid, and it's away from. We're going away from what we don't want. When what can be more effective is toward language. Mm. So even if you have an away from statement, immediately following it with something that is toward focused. We're making this change so that we can do this. And depending on your message, you might remove the away from completely. And it's also knowing your audience, which is the underscore of everything. Because if your audience would use that specific away from expression, then yes, I would put it in there Okay. so that they feel heard, seen, and understood.
0: I love this. There's some great strategies and I'll recap them at the end. I'm wondering if you have any tips or suggestions on how to get to know your audience better? Because as I'm listening to you talk, like that's the underscore of, of what's going on here is get to know your audience and then use their language and and really, you know, say things that they would say. How do you do that?
1: Lots of ways. Listening in on conversations, seeing their messages to each other. Not necessarily, I'm not suggesting spying on them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> in general, any public messaging things like that, their messages to each other, employee survey forms. In meetings, the actual words they use when they're, they're communicating. And in the, in the online marketing world for copywriting, I usually recommend people keep a list of all the things that their people say, Mm -hmm. so they can easily grab those terms when they need them.
0: Right. Well, and I think whether you're online marketing or You know, you and I both have corporate backgrounds. I think you're still marketing to whether you're just leading a team or a project or, you know, you're trying to get them to see what you see and get them to come along with you on this journey. Um, And I think those those phrases and the words that people use are really important so that when that communication comes out, their reaction isn't like you don't get it and you don't understand me. But it's like you've heard me. You see me. I want to come closer
1: yeah. You hit it. We're always marketing. Mm-hmm. We're marketing ourselves. Always. Whether or not you use that term or not.
0: Right. Right. So do you have any specific practices that you do that build kind of your ability to sit with, I mean, you work for all different types of audiences, so it's not just one, right? You've got mm-hmm. you've got various groups of, of people. What practices help you understand what the audience, um, the intended audience might be going through? And then allow you to write in these ways to connect with them.
1: Listening. Mm. It is the biggest thing. (laughs) Listen more than you speak. (laughs) So often in conversations, we have the instinct to jump in, finish other people's sentences, or we think we know what they're going to say. And then we're already thinking of responding. It's tough. It's, I'm not saying this is easy. It's a practice and a skill and I really think it can be learned to when you're having these conversations with people, you turn that off and you're like, Nope, I am not responding. I am just listening. So one of my favorite ways to do that is just focus on breathing. Mm. That's it. I'm just breathing. And depending on the situation, if you have a notebook handy, write down some key phrases that they say. So yep. that when you're either speaking to them later or emailing them later, you have some of the language they use. Right. And it's not the way you would say it. It's the way they would say it. And doing that really helps people unconsciously feel heard.
0: Yep. Yeah. Excellent. I heard this saying once that has always stuck with me that we have two ears and one mouth to be used in that ratio right. And yes, so hard true. and so hard. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about, you know, the fact that listening is hard, um, understanding what your, your audience really wants. Are there any other things that you think get in the way of, of leaders' abilities to communicate with empathy? Like what, what's stopping them? Time. Yeah. It's a big one. That's it's a, a huge big, one. Yeah.
1: And please do not turn to AI to write your messages to your people. Personal <laughs> messages, please, please, please don't do that. They can tell
0: when they can tell right? you're, going,
1: you're going to burn your trust even more. It is not not recommended.
0: Yeah, well, that's a huge thing when it comes to written communication. Um, do you have any tips at all? Like, is how would you use ai if people wanted to or have already been using it but now they're like hearing oh i shouldn't be doing that mm. you know what how how can they incorporate that if if that's something that they go to
1: ai is useful for assistant like tasks okay i do not personally or recommend people use it for generating text okay even if it's to get ideas, we have ideas. So this is also Mm
0: -hmm. like
1: you're outsourcing your inspiration essentially to the collective, which I think is a dangerous idea. And what I've seen when people do that is their message appeals to the masses, which is not what we're trying to do with whatever our vision is. Usually we have a vision that might be disruptive and if we're appealing to everyone, then we appeal to no one. <laughs> so I do not use it or recommend using it. This is- if, if some people find it challenging to get words on the page, my favorite recommendation is to use talk to text, mm. especially if they're a verbal processor or are used to speaking. Just take out your phone, record yourself saying what you want to say, And have that translated to text and then edit that. It can make your life so much easier.
0: Okay. Yeah. That really hits home for me in terms of, you know, the collective piece. Because so many, so much of the time, like we are trying to get quite targeted in our written communication about who we want this message to be for. Um, And I've never, I've never stopped to look at the use of AI in that way. And so that's been a big light bulb moment and a big takeaway for me out of this conversation.
1: Yeah. The other thing with AI is we're essentially training it with right. our unique thoughts and ideas so that everyone else can use them, Okay, <laughs> which isn't quite, I'm like, nope, I'm going to keep my,
0: my inspiration to myself. There you go.
1: Not in that way, but let my inspiration drive what I create.
0: Right. Right. Excellent. So We've talked about a lot of different strategies. Where do you get started? Like, what's the one thing you think? If you, only, if you could only leave our listeners with one tip, trick, strategy, what would it be?
1: Before you write anything, think about what you want your reader to, this, there's three parameters, and you might use all three or one. Okay. What do you want them to know? What do you want them to do? And how do you want them to feel? Hmm. So depending on what it is you're communicating, one of those might be more important than the other, or they all might be important. Like if you need something done, here are three things to do, one, two, three.
0: Right, that's a great tip because it really does help us get into that mindset of who is this intended for? How can I make sure that whatever I write answers that question? And for me, like right away, I just got a little like excited to go write something because, you know, which is not normally how I feel when I sit down to write something. I'm, I'm more <laughs> like, oh God, I got to write something here. What am I going to say? You know, but I think starting with these questions really does unlock that. For me, it unlocks that uh, kind of drive and it goes, okay, so this is about them. I want them to do feel or know these things. Yeah. It, it does It removes that roadblock to, to getting started and I've also used the voice to text um, many, many times, and it is a go-to tool for me as well because I am a verbal processor. So mm-hmm. that's a great tip.
1: That's great. One bonus tip with that: as you sit down to do the writing, imagine how your reader feels when they get your message. Mm-hmm. So, being bringing that energy to the page, the screen, right? Your your reader will your reader will feel that. If they, if you come and write an angry, aggravated text or email, they're gonna tell because we've all been on the other end of those messages too.
0: Yes, we have, and I mean, one of the things, you know, we always talk about, like if you, you know, the twenty four hour rule and sending an angry email or text or something. I think this came out of my kids' sports, but I've definitely applied it corporately and into into everything I do. Um, you know, we'll write kind of whatever's in that moment. But uh, that goes back to one of the tips you shared earlier of write the truth and then come back and edit it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So there's a lot of truth in what you might need to say if it is a bit of a angrier or frustrated or overwhelmed type of message and you do need to communicate something, but give yourself some time and space once you get that truth on the page before you hit send.
1: Yes, that will save so many regrets.
0: (laughs) So many regrets. (laughs) Jack, where can people find you and more about the work that you're doing?
1: You can find me at JacquelineFish.com and
0: TheIntuitiveWritingSchool.com. Excellent. We will have all of that linked in the show notes. Is there anything else you would like to leave our listeners with today?
1: The next time you have to do some writing, maybe reframe it to, I get to do some writing. I... I'm excited to share this message, see how you can bring that energy of even just calm groundedness Mm -hmm. to your writing instead of frantic anger or anything else.
0: I love that. Thank you for sharing all of your tips and tricks in how to communicate with empathy, because I think in the written space, this is definitely, um, you know, advanced level empathy communication Yes, because yes, yes um, we don't have the other person there responding to us. Um, so we really have to do a little bit more prep work and really think about how we want that reader to receive the message. So thank you so much for being here today and sharing your wisdom with us.
1: Thank you so much, Erin. I know your people can handle advanced level tactics, so <laughs> that's what I brought.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thank you.